1: Hey, everyone, we're bringing you another bonus episode today. Today, I spoke with investigative reporter for ProPublica, Robert Federici. He is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who's covered the military, L.A. County inmate abuse, and most recently, how professional sports owners use their teams to avoid millions in taxes. We spoke about what he found and what the greater impact of these loopholes mean for the business of sports in general. Take a listen. Robert, you include in your uh, really eye-opening piece uh, a quote uh, from former Cleveland Indians and later Chicago White Sox owner Bill Veek, who said, look, we play the Star-Spangled Banner before every game. You want us to pay income taxes too? Uh, Veek, you credit um, with uh, being the innovator in this uh, particular space. Could you talk us through how... Uh, veeks innovations in terms of, uh, tax, uh, I don't want to say manipulation, but, uh, but how to pay the least amount of taxes as a, as a sports owner and, and how that has evolved, uh, to the present day.
0: Yeah. So he, he's sort of considered the trailblazer, but, um, the, the way it works now, there've been several evolutions, but essentially let's say you buy a sports team for $2 billion. Over the course of the next 15 years, you can write off that $2 billion from your taxes. So what that means is, you know, you could potentially be uh, profitable, right? Your team could be profitable and you could report to the IRS that you're actually losing money, which means not only do you not have to pay taxes on the money you make from the team, but you can also cancel out money that you're making from other ventures uh, and not pay taxes on that either.
1: And this is done through a process uh, called amortization, which basically says that, like, say, um, a car, which is an asset, you drive it off the lot, it loses a portion of its value, and you drive it over time, and the parts need to be replaced, et cetera, et cetera, the the finish uh, dulls. This is accomplished through applying that idea, the depreciation of an asset, to assets that don't really appreciate, uh, depreciate in the way that, uh, that a, you know, a a car or a machine would, is that, is that right?
0: Yeah. So like if, if I were to buy, uh, you know, like a widget business, right. Part of the purchase price of that widget business was like the, the widget maker or the widget conveyor belt. And, you know, like over time, those things actually like break down and lose value. Right. But with sports teams, the assets are uh, almost entirely intangible. So we're talking about like media rights deals, player contracts, franchise rights. If you're a major sports team, there's little chance that you're going to stop being on TV, right? Um, or that players won't play for you because there's a finite number of teams they can play for. Um, so not only do these assets typically not lose value, they sort of automatically regenerate and typically gain in value. Um, But nonetheless, you're able to sort of write them off uh, as if they're worthless.
1: How was this accomplished? What was at, uh, you know, obviously this, this, the argument uh, would have been had to sports teams owners, excuse me, would have made this argument, hey, we have these assets they depreciate to Congress, to lawmakers, to the people who designed the tax code. And this was accepted. How, How, what was the argument they used and how, how did that happen? Like, how is how is it decided that these are that these are assets like any other asset?
0: It didn't always work this way. You know, previously, the IRS uh, and the law required, you know, these sports teams to actually only write off things, you know, assets that they could argue uh, really had a definable lifespan and were actually losing value. But in 2004, Congress basically sort of like opened up the doors to them amortizing uh, all sorts of assets even assets that weren't losing value um and that bill uh was signed into law actually by george w bush who himself um was previously a sports team owner
1: how does uh, could you uh, put this in the context of the kind of uh the larger dynamic of billionaires being able to move around their money in such a way that uh, that they pay a, a tax rate that is much less than one would expect, much less than, say, a, a, you use an example of, of LeBron James, who is a multi-multi-millionaire, um, uh, paying an approximately 40% tax rate, while Steve Ballmer, who is a multi-multi-billionaire, I think the 12th richest man in the world at the, uh, right now, um, pays at about uh, 11%. Put that in the context of, of this kind of larger, uh, larger world of, of billionaires in general.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, so basically uh, the tax code favors people who own things over people who work is is the way you could think about it. And like you said, uh, we, we illustrated that in our story by looking at, you know, Steve Bomber, owner of the Clippers, LeBron James, uh, you know, star basketball player, obviously, Um, and Adelaide Avila, who is a concessions worker at Staples Center. And as you'd expect, LeBron pays a a higher uh, federal income tax rate than uh, the concessions worker, Uh, but he actually, even though he makes much less than Steve Ballmer, he pays a much higher tax rate. Um, The most shocking thing, though, was that uh, Adelaide Avila, the concessions worker who makes... You know, uh, about 15,000 times less than Steve Ballmer, uh, does, was actually paying a higher tax rate than him as well. Wow. Um, so, and one of the reasons among many is that Steve Bomber gets to write off the entire $2 billion price or almost the entire $2 billion purchase price of the Clippers. Um, so, you know, even if that team is profitable, um, he gets to tell the IRS we're losing lots of money, and if they lose money, he can tell the IRS they're losing vastly more money than they actually are. You know, in fact, over a over a five year span, our our data showed that he had reported seven hundred million dollars in losses um, from the Clippers to the IRS. Wow, I,
1: this is uh, particularly notable to me as a fan of the National Basketball Association. Because uh, in 2011, I don't know if you're aware, but the, the NBA and the uh, and the players were uh, arguing about the uh, the split of the revenues, basically from from basketball related activities um it was formally I believe 57 percent it has now moved to about 51 percent to the owners and uh 49 percent to the players with some movement in there I might be wrong on those numbers but it, it was formally 57 percent to the players the owners came in and they argued, hey uh we're losing money man we're losing money hand over fist it's crazy um the players uh, argued that you're not losing money uh the the books are extremely opaque. Please open them to us. There's some back and forth. This is not a, 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 a the kind of topic that really pierces the public consciousness because you know from the from the perspective of the average sports fan, it's like I just want my sports back. And there are other issues at play with uh, you know rich uh, black men asking for more money that uh, that can shift public opinion. That said, um, viewing uh, taking your story. And looking back at the at the at the 2011 lockout or any kind of like uh, pay dispute between owners and players, uh, what can we say about those kinds of issues when we understand that this kind of uh, creative accounting is going on from the perspective of of the owners?
0: Yeah, I mean, so uh, tax accounting, right, is very different than. Um, sort of like real-world numbers. Uh, yeah. So uh, we, w- <laughs> w- what we know from, from looking at this tax data, and we reviewed the tax return data for uh, many owners, is that, you know, they can basically like, you know, even if they're losing money, right? Like I said, they, they can report that they're, vast, they're losing vastly even more money. And what that does, right, is that allows them, like let's say they're a sports team owner, but then they're also... You know, they have, uh, I don't know, just making something up like a massive shipping business. Right. Like they they can then cancel out a lot of the money they're making from that other business using these losses from the sports team and overall pay much less in taxes. You know, I'm not sure that the players unions are taking that, you know, that incredible tax advantage into account when they have these negotiations, so basically what that tells you is you know even when a sports team owner is losing money that's not entirely a bad thing. There are still financial advantages that come with with owning that team. Uh
1: the response from uh the spokespeople for the owners who are quoted in your piece uh is is in line with the response with these kind of stories outside of the sports world, whether it's uh, Jeff Bezos or Steve Ballmer in regards to the Clippers, and it's often something along the lines of we follow the law, we pay the amount of taxes as mandated by the law, um, and we respect, you know, the the tax code of the United States of America. Um, I find that an unfortunately compelling argument because that is what the rules say how does this change? Obviously, I think public opinion would play, play a huge role. And maybe you see some of the, 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 beginnings of the strands of the kind of, of, of public opinion shift that might, um, that might signal, uh, tax reform in the future, whether it's uh, sports or, or the world in general, but how does, how does one, how does one, uh, change this? And if you know uh, w- and what are the kind of forces that uh, people that are interested in in reforming our tax code might might face in as they try to take this on
0: yeah well uh i mean you know you you mentioned the responses from the owners like wh- one of the most ag- aggressive and animated responses came for the from the lawyer for dan gilbert owner of the cleveland cavs <laughs> <Shocking>. um, and <laughs> uh and, and and what what they were arguing was uh, without this tax benefit, uh, amortization, you know, the whole, it would be, you know, it would be fatal to the American economy. Uh, Uh the whole economy would collapse. Right. And then the counterpoint to that is not, you know, it wasn't always this way. In fact, very recently it wasn't this way and you could not write off assets that weren't actually losing value and the American economy survived. Um, so, uh, you know, there there are these very sort of a forceful counter arguments that the people who enjoy these benefits and their representatives make about the sort of wider consequences that would come by taking these benefits away from them. And it, and it wouldn't just be uh, these wealthy team owners who'd be hurt, but, you know, the impact would be much larger uh, and hit more people than just them. As far as what can be done to change this, it takes the U.S. Congress, uh, yeah. you know, writing and passing a law and the president signing it. We have not seen any movement um, on, you know, of of, at least yet, uh, you know, of Congress being interested in changing um, the rules around how businesses are able to take these write-offs. So uh, at at least at the current moment, I I don't see this changing. Though, again, uh, it could, and it has been different in the past.
1: Right. I I often think of the um, uh, kind of like, mafia trope of, you know, nice family, be a shame if anything happened to it, you know, nice economy, be a shame if anything happened to it is, is uh, very often the response, whether it's like, you know, international hedge funds or, or, or uh, sports team owners. But I, I, I guess, how did that, uh, and then finally, you know, last question, you mentioned this, this was different in the past, the tax code has changed quite a bit, it, it there was once a time uh, you know teddy roosevelt was the president when it seems like people in the country was kind of primed up for taking on uh the wealthy and the kind of privileges that they enjoyed and clawing those things back in a decades long struggle that um uh, that seems like it's definitely shifted towards uh, the more powerful like what why did it shift away from this kind of like antagonism towards people who were once termed robber barons and are now kind of, uh, you know, held up as, as by and large, the ideals that everyone should aspire to. We should all aspire to be as successful as, as, as Jeff Bezos,
0: you know? Well, I mean, one of, one of the significant changes, right. Is, over time, there, there's been sort of this, uh, you know, demonization of the IRS uh, and funding from Congress that's been withheld. And, and what you see is that the IRS over time is far less frequently um, scrutinizing the tax returns of wealthy people um, and just, sort of just don't have um, the staffing and know-how to uh, do so like they did in the past. And uh, the, the latest development on, you know, like the, the reform front from the Biden administration and Congress is that there was some talk that the IRS was going to get new funding. And the thinking is, you know, for, for every dollar you fund the IRS, you know, you get multiples of uh, added tax revenue that sort of pays for itself. It looks like at least the most recent reporting is that that's off the table. So, you know, the, the entity that's sort of tasked with being the watchdog for, you know, sort of abuses in general and, uh, you know, illegal tax evasion in general is slowly getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Um, and it doesn't look like that's going to change, at least not now, um, despite there being, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a push to do so and, you know, administration that seemed, you know, open to doing so. Um, when it first started out. So, uh, you know, h- how, how does this change moving forward? You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, like I said, it wasn't always this way.
1: Uh, Robert, uh, thank you. Finally, uh, do you, who do you root for? You, do you follow any sports
0: yourself? Yeah, I actually, I, I root for the Clippers. Um, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, Um, so Uh, it was it was a very interesting reporting experience for me to to be uh, you know closely looking at their finances and their owner and you know uh, it's it's an unfortunate life choice I made to be a Clippers fan, but
1: uh, here I am. uh, One more question, I just uh, you know it's like it it strikes me that like when you have these kind of like rules that are easily manipulatable in any kind of system, Uh, for instance, the NBA. a free agency is currently going on, and teams are not supposed to contact players until the moratorium lifts. But the speed with which contracts and deals are announced minutes after the moratorium lifts strongly suggests that teams are talking to play. You know, contracts don't just ninety-page contracts don't just appear. You know, in five minutes, uh, strongly suggests that people are, are are talking, and you can't actually compete unless you unless you do that. Is it? we've basically created that kind of dynamic here, right? Like if, let's say uh, if you were a, if you were a billionaire owner of a sports team and you said, you know, I want to do the right thing and I want to, I want to pay that my fair share of taxes, you would, you would be at an extreme competitive disadvantage.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the way it's talked about by tax accountants and tax lawyers, you know, the people who represent these wealthy people is, you're you're essentially you know uh, if you're in the gray area like you're you're or beyond that if you're past the gray area you're playing the audit lottery right and like chances are you're gonna win the audit lottery because uh you know like people at that level um get audited uh, at sort of vanishingly low levels so you know that's that's human nature right like like you, you made the comparison to free agency right like if if there's not much enforcement and, the, and you don't have to worry about consequences. That really opens up the doors to all sorts of abuse. He's
1: an investigative reporter for ProPublica. Please support his work and more journalism like this at propublica.org. Robert, thanks so much for joining me on Takeline.
0: Thanks so much, Jason.
1: Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.